welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the 23rd of February, 2020, the podcast that came home smelling of pigs. This is your host, Shane Killian. If things sound a bit different this week, it's because my production machine bricked itself on Monday and the replacement won't arrive until next week. So this is being put together on a 10-year-old laptop. So for that reason, there won't be any promos this week, but a replacement machine is expensive, so if you want to help me get back above water, please consider going to donate.bogosity.tv and giving what you can. But I can go ahead and tell you about a new affiliate program I have because it was time for me to get a new pair of glasses, and like I have for many years, I got them from Fermu. They're so much cheaper than the ones they sell at the eye doctors, and just as good if not better. They also have better service than other online sellers. You can get frames for dirt cheap, all the way up to expensive designer frames. And you can put in your prescription from your eye doctor and get prescription lenses with all sorts of features, including aspherics, multifocals, various coatings, and even sunglasses. And if you use the affiliate link, this podcast will get 10% of your order. So use the link in the show notes or visit glasses.bogosity.tv. So now let's try glitterate the news of the bogus. So with the Sanchez extradition hearing scheduled next week, we're probably going to hear some, let's say, entertaining claims. The first one being that Donald Trump offered to pardon Assange if Assange would say the Russians had no part in the hacking of the DNC emails. The problem with this is, as longtime podcast listeners know, Assange already said this years ago. The claim is that then-California Representative Dana Rohrabacher visited Assange at the Ecuadorian Embassy in London and offered the pardon on Trump's behalf as long as he would play ball. Rohrabacher acknowledged the visit but said he was there on, quote, my own fact-finding mission and was not there on behalf of the president, quote. When speaking with Julian Assange, I told him that if he could provide me with information and evidence about who actually gave him the DNC emails, I would then call on President Trump to pardon him. At no time did I offer a deal made by the president, nor did I say I was representing the president. He also said that when trying to take Assange's response to Trump, he was denied a meeting by Chief of Staff John Kelly. The Trump administration has always blamed Russia for the hack, and only denied that Trump had anything to do with it. The White House press secretary said to CNN, quote, The president barely knows Dana Rohrabacher, other than he's an ex-congressman. He's never spoken to him on this subject or almost any subject. It is a complete fabrication and a total lie. This is probably another never-ending hoax and a total lie from the DNC. WikiLeaks said in a tweet, Chronology matters. The meeting and the offer were made 10 months after Julian Assange had already independently stated Russia was not the source of the DNC publication. The witness statement is one of the many bombshells from the defense to come. We'll be keeping an eye on this. So we have yet another example of absurdity and age-of-consent laws being applied to the digital age that can absolutely ruin the lives of innocent people. We've heard this story before. Two underage teens start texting, and things turn to romance. The girls send him five pictures of her in her underwear. Her face and her private parts were not visible. The two never met in person. After he turned 18, the boy, Zachary, was arrested and charged with 20 felonies, including indecent liberties with a minor and transmitting child porn, even though he never sent the pics to anyone. He was facing a theoretical maximum in prison of 350 years.
As we've seen many times before, this is just bogus scare tactics. There is no way these charges would have made it past trial, but since he was now an adult, the public nature of the trial would have destroyed him for life. So his only real choice was to take a plea bargain for two counts of indecent liberties with a minor and be registered as a violent sex offender for life. Again, he never met the girl in person. He never transmitted any threats or anything. From all appearances, the girl sent him the picture spontaneously. How do you like that, said his dad. Same category as a murderer. Plea bargains cannot be appealed. He'll be sentenced on March 9th, and until then, he remains in jail. Folks, this would leave Gilbert and Sullivan scratching their heads. There was no victim here. The girl herself said she was never victimized. Her parents were splitting up, and that was the cause of emotional distress for her, and she was admitted to a mental health facility. There, she told the counselor about her relationship with Zachary, and it's not clear what happened from there, but through the counselor, this made it to the police who seized and searched Zachary's electronic devices. That's when the pictures were found. Before then, there had never even been an accusation of wrongdoing. Zachary's parents hired two psychologists to evaluate Zachary, and both of them found that he was no threat to this or any other young girl. He is in no way a sexual predator. He was a teenager who did something that teenagers are doing more and more today. And yet, the state of Virginia, and in particular prosecutor Ryan Frank, have decided to pretend that Zachary is a horrible child rapist preying on the flesh of the young. He doesn't care that he's destroying the life of an innocent boy. All he cares about is appearing tough on crime. Zachary told one of his psychiatrists, I know I'd never do it again because I don't want to go back to jail again in my life. And if nothing else, this has given me a fear of women. And for what? I really don't get what goes through the mind of people who don't understand that teens are going to do this kind of thing. Do they not remember being teens themselves? Do they not remember these things called Polaroids? This is absolutely ridiculous. We need to let teens be teens and stop ruining their lives for doing what comes naturally. have seen some really stupid copyright takedown notices, but this has to be a category all its own. Case in point, an article about Ada Lovelace, the first computer programmer, now completely delisted from Google because, get this, it contained the word did. Yes, did, as in past tense of do. It was taken down by a DMCA complaint from Rights Hero, a group of anti-piracy trolls who were working on behalf of ZTV, an Indian pay TV channel. The channel airs the show Dance India Dance, which is frequently shortened to DID. Sinclair Target, the author of the article, put it clearly. Computers are stupid, folks. Too bad Google has decided they are in charge. But Target wasn't the only one uh, targeted. At least 11 other sites have received takedown notices for using the English word did. And, in fact, at least four requests went to online dictionaries giving the definition for the English word. Even worse, other articles targeted were an earthquake hazard article from the U.S. Geological Survey, the U.S. Department of Education's page on filing a Schedule 1, and a Nature.com article on the coronavirus. 
It's not clear what they can do about it, since Rights Hero has a website with basically no information as to how to contact them. Also, their domain is hidden by a Whois proxy. The only option is to submit a DMCA counterclaim, which means the material by law must stay down for 10 business days. Remember, each and every DMCA takedown request is made under penalty of perjury. But where is there any such action taken against trolls such as Rights Hero committing multiple acts of perjury on a daily basis? And now it's time to renumerate this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to the Iowa Democratic Party over the complete fiasco that was the tallying of the votes of the Iowa caucuses. They put it all in the hands of an app with a code that was poorly vetted if it was vetted at all, volunteers who didn't understand how to use it, and party officials blatantly ignoring warnings from outside experts. Despite the claims of some, there's no evidence that this was the work of hackers, although that can never be definitively ruled out, but many experts are pointing to this as an example of how not to launch new technology. Georgetown computer science professor Matt Blaze said, Experts have been unanimous in warning of the dangers of internet and mobile apps in voting. While the risks and threats in a caucus are somewhat different from those in a general election, what happened in Iowa is a perfect example of why this technology is so perilous. The issues involved an app written by Shadow Incorporated, and doesn't that name just fill you with confidence? And they were paid $63,000 by the Iowa Democratic Party in November and December to develop the app. Shadow is tied to the nonprofit group Acronym, who is dedicated to increasing the Democratic Party's digital innovations and countering Trump's dominance of online advertising and social media strategies. Wonderful work so far, guys, I gotta say. In a caucus, the actual votes are cast in personal gathering places all over the states. Whoever is in charge of that local caucus tallies their results and sends it to a central office. The app was supposed to help precinct chairs figure out which candidates were considered viable, even though the formula for doing so had been completely untested. The Nevada Democratic Party had given $58,000 to the developers, but they decided not to use it. So far, nobody at Shadow or Acronym has commented. Just a week before the Iowa caucuses, Iowa Democratic Chairman Troy Price said, We are confident in the security systems we have in place. Well, doesn't he feel silly? The sad part is, this isn't the first time they've used an app. Last year, both the Dems and the GOP used an app from Microsoft to record the results, and the GOP used an app from a different unknown vendor to collate their results and none of them had any issues. But early Monday, just as the caucus was getting started, volunteers reported they were struggling to download or use the app. Volunteers called the party's hotline to call in the results, only to be put on hold for several hours. All of this is what happens when you rush to deploy software that isn't ready and don't train your people how to use it. Regardless of whatever coding errors might have led to the troubles, that is the main problem. Security experts have also pointed out the problems with the systems not being open source, relying instead on security through obscurity, which isn't security at all. The Democrats claimed they had the app independently tested by cybersecurity consultants, but didn't say who. That wasn't good enough for actual experts like Dan Wallach of Rice University, who said, Do they name who did the testing? Can we read their report? Has anyone from the testing been quoted by the press even? If not, 
it doesn't mean much. Voting security expert Jeremy Epstein said, As a friend wrote, Macy's doesn't roll out a new cash register the day before Black Friday. You test it out in a limited market and figure out the problems without the pressure. Duncan Buell of USC concurred, saying, One ought not to be testing for the first time the ability of the system to handle a full load in a live event. That's just dumb. Well, that's good enough for me. That makes the Iowa Democratic Party this week's biggest bogan emitter. And now let's recalcify this week's Idiot Extraordinaire! And this week it goes to the West Midlands Police in the UK for warning parents everywhere that your child might be turning to a hardened life in an illicit criminal enterprise if he installs a particular Linux distro. It's like the paranoid cyber-ignorant version of warning parents that their kids might be devil worshippers if they listen to albums with skulls on the cover. I'm not kidding. That actually happened when I was a kid. In a poster the UK's National Crime Agency has publicly disavowed, the West Midlands Regional Organized Crime Unit is warning parents to be on the lookout and notify them immediately if they see their child running Kali Linux, a Linux distro made for pen testers and cybersecurity professionals. That isn't the only thing on the poster. They warn about the secure Tor browser, which can be used to access the dark web. Virtual machines which hide operating systems, I have no idea what that's supposed to mean, and even Metasploit, which in their words is penetration software that makes hacking simple, but which is really used to find security holes in software so they can be fixed. In fact, Metasploit is even taught in UK schools for students learning InfoSec. And get this, they even listed Discord. Yes, Discord, because it's often used to share hacking tips. Jim O'Gorman, a member of the team that maintains Kali Linux, said, quote, The whole situation reminds me of the generational scares that happen with rock music, video games, and so on. Hopefully no parent would take it seriously and feel like they have to call the police on their own children if they find them using Kali or chatting with others on Discord, as that's pretty ludicrous. If you don't understand something your child is into, instead of freaking out about it, just ask the kid and learn from them. In the end, none of this entire issue has anything to do with Kali or any of the other tools called out in the poster. Instead, it just has to do with how to be a good, engaged parent and some people's misunderstanding of what that means. The West Midlands police did respond, but it's not worth going over since there was no mea culpa, just doubling down. Even though they did admit that all of the software was perfectly legal and had legitimate uses, they emphasized that the software can be misused, but that's true of anything. If you ever wondered why police were so inept at catching hackers and fraudsters, this is it. They have no clue what to do with technology and no idea how to tell bad actors from the good or simply curious. But there is one good thing about this poster. It's a good list of things you might want to check out if you get the time. So all of that makes the West Midlands Police this week's... Idiot Extraordinaire! (laughs) 
Okay, that wraps up this Crime Doesn't Pay, well, it paid a little, edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come to that hacking site, discord.bogosity.tv, to join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. And please support this podcast with all the ways you can find at donate.bogosity.tv, including PayPal, all sorts of cryptocurrencies, and becoming a regular supporter at Patreon and Subscribestar. This is unusual for February, but Leap Day is the fifth Saturday, and that actually means no podcast next week. We'll see you in two weeks, hopefully with upgraded hardware. Until then, here's a quote from James Scott. Consider all tabulation systems infected by bad actors until a third party, not affiliated with the manufacturer or election officials, proves they are secure. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Order of its 4.0 international license. Bogosity. <laughs>